Welcome to the We Serve podcast of Government Policy, Real Estate, and You. I'm Liz Recchia, Government Affairs Director for the We Serve Association of Realtors, and this is your quick update for today. Forbearance and distressed property owners. Although not scientific, looking around the landscape, it appears some distressed property owners are taking account of their situation and offloading properties to wholesalers. I've noticed a distinct increase in property offerings across several Arizona wholesalers. So let's take a peek at some local data. As of November 18th, here's a sampling of active trustee notices. The notices sent to property owners when they default on their property loan. 85282 Tempe, 13,504 active trustee notices. 85284 Tempe, 6,058. 85201 Mesa, 10,178. 85205 Mesa, 14,085. 85224 Chandler, 14,123. 85249 Chandler, 16,434. 85142 Queen Creek, 17,338. 85233 Gilbert, 12,877. 85298 Gilbert, 13,852. The vast majority of these are single family detached houses. Now, this is a sampling, and you can find similar numbers across several of our Maricopa County cities. Maricopa County pending foreclosures as of October 31st were 937 which is below our 2020 high of 1,820 in March. It's reasonable to assume that while a lot of the TDs we see right now will not result in foreclosure before the end of 2020, depending on government policy and forbearance, they may find their way to foreclosure in 2021. Taking some of the heat off is three items in my opinion. One, FHFA, VA, USDA, and HUD have a foreclosure moratorium until December 31st, 2020. Two, wholesalers are buying properties at an increasing rate. Some homeowners in distress are selling while they still can break even or net a few dollars off their property. Three, investor activity in MPLs and physical real estate. Almost 80% of trustee sales are purchased by a third party. That is investor activity. Add that to the rise in sales of distressed loan pools and investors are taking up inventory either to sell or to lease. Rental property owners, both residential and commercial in Arizona, are usually small businesses. Frequently, these owners have only one or two properties. Others may have a small portfolio. The point is, these are individuals who rely on the stream of income from the rental property to keep their families fed, clothed, and sheltered. For some reason, a large number of people don't realize or know this. They seem to think property owners are overly wealthy people who can spare the resources needed to provide free rent while paying for expenses such as maintenance and repairs, property tax, insurance, and property management fees. Forget the moral and ethical dilemma this presents. It's just not a rational or realistic thought process. While the governor's residential eviction moratorium order expired on October 31st and his commercial order expired May 31st, the CDC order is still in effect for residential property owners to December 31st. 
You can listen to my interview with Judge Wismer on this topic at www.weservegad.org. Click on GAD Podcasts. As anyone who has worked distressed properties can tell you, tenants are not well served when landlords go BK or are foreclosed on. Let's start with the most obvious problem. The tenant rarely knows the landlord is no longer the landlord. While a tenant will still send monthly rent payments to the landlord they know about, that rent check is not going to whomever is now the legal property owner. If you worked distressed real estate any time in the past 15 years, you have probably been in the middle as tenant and new landlord negotiate. Some of that investor class soaking up potential distressed real estate are not purchasing the real estate, but the distressed or non-performing notes. Some purchase individual notes, but the larger investors invest in the note pools, also known as MPLs, offered by Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, HUD, regional banks, and other lenders. So let's look at an example. Recently, Freddie Mac had these NPL offerings. An $18 million NPL with a BPO weighted LTV of 66%. A $101 million NPL with a BPO weighted LTV of 61%. A $143.1 million NPL with a BPO weighted LTV of 44%. A $149.6 million NPL with a BPO weighted LTV of 72%. And a $70.1 million NPL with a BPO weighted LTV of 112%. And a $534 million NPL offering due to close in December of 2020. So who were the investors for the MPLs? Well, Due to changes made by FHFA in 2015, offerings are targeted to smaller investors such as nonprofits, minorities, women, disabled, LGBT, veteran, and service disabled veteran owned businesses. These are called community impact pools. As I read through the last several offerings, one particular woman owned nonprofit with a targeted mission to provide and preserve housing to underserved populations did indeed purchase four of the five loan pools. So with all this, what do we see going forward as far as valuation? Well, in a world in which traditional benchmarks may not be appropriate or must be modified, knowing how to value property is extremely important. We're talking beyond the CMA. As you can see, a BPO is an important valuation tool. In my career, being able to value small commercial, probate, foreclosure, short sale, and BK, commercial and residential properties, gave me insight into the market at several levels and gave me a nice stream of income. It also meant there were listings and buyers I worked with because of my expertise and knowledge I would never have had an opportunity to work with otherwise. Being able to value property under differing scenarios meant property owners and note holders hired me to evaluate their portfolios. So what's ahead? I don't have a crystal ball, but here are some of my thoughts. At least some of those active trustee notices will end up in foreclosure or short sale in 2021. Small commercial and residential property owners are seeing distress in some locales. Depending on who you are and where you work, you may see more or less distressed property hitting the retail market. One concern of mine is the recent IRS ruling concerning nonprofits with an investor arm purchasing 
distressed MPLs to further their nonprofit mission of home retention for homeowners. There are several impact investor arms to nonprofits operating within the social services realm with an emphasis on preserving home ownership to underserved populations. The model generally looks like this. The nonprofit has a mission to preserve home ownership and purchases non-performing loan pools as part of that mission. An example is the Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae Impact Investing Program. The MPL assets are managed by the nonprofit, and in order to create the funds necessary to manage the program, the nonprofit forms a fund management entity and solicits investors. The nonprofit charges less than market rate for their management fee, and the projects within the funds are small with no commercially available financing. While the nonprofit uses some traditional tools for ascertaining risk and return, its main measure is social impact. The funds raised by investor fees is designed to cover the cost with little or no profit, and any profit is invested back into the nonprofit to perform its mission. Under the October 9, 2020 IRS ruling, that impact fund model may mean the nonprofit forgoes its tax exempt status. While the ruling is specific to one nonprofit with this model, you can be sure others are taking a long look at that ruling. For the distressed real estate market, what will it mean if a large number of nonprofits operating in this or similar manner are now precluded from participating in impact investing in order to preserve their tax exempt status? What does it mean for the homeowners? And what does it mean for the marketplace? Since 2016, we have seen an increasing number of non-performing loans purchased by nonprofits through the Impact Investing Program. Now the question is, will they be able to manage their note business? Will they have the resources to manage the program now? There's a big debate right now regarding the ruling, its conflict with the FHFA non-performing loan guidelines, its impact, and the purposes of the changes in 2015. Watch for more information as nonprofits, the legal community, and Congress digest this latest IRS ruling. NAR Agreement with DOJ By now, a lot of you have already heard and seen the NAR settlement regarding antitrust concerns. The DOJ, Department of Justice, filed both the lawsuit and the settlement simultaneously. NAR agreed to a settlement. Basically, DOJ asked NAR to amend its MLS rules and some policies to provide more transparency to homebuyers in regards to commissions. Within 45 days of the order, which was November 11th, NAR must submit language and rule changes for review and approval to DOJ. Here are the four changes DOJ is requesting. Under Prohibited Conduct NAR and its member boards must not adopt, maintain, or enforce any rule or enter into or enforce any agreement or practice that directly or indirectly, one, prohibits, discourages, or recommends against an MLS or MLS participant publishing or displaying to consumers any MLS database field specifying the compensation offered to other MLS participants. Two, permits or requires MLS participants, including buyer brokers, to represent or suggest that their services are free or available to a client at no cost to the client. Three, permits or enables MLS participants 
to filter, suppress, hide, or not display or distribute MLS listings based on the level of compensation offered to the buyer broker or the name of the brokerage or agent, or four, prohibits, discourages, or recommends against the eligibility of any licensed real estate agent or agent of a broker from accessing, with seller approval, the lockboxes of those properties listed on an MLS. NAR announced the upcoming changes to the Code of Ethics and MLS rules and policies in compliance with this agreement. You can watch the video to see a quick overview. You can read the NAR summary and read the FAQ at nar.realtor. One of the biggest changes will be the ability for the seller to direct any licensed real estate agent have access to the lockbox on a property listed in the MLS, even if the agent does not subscribe to the MLS. NAR will work with DOJ over the next few weeks to form the exact language. Once the NAR Board of Directors approves the changes, NAR estimates you will see the changes officially take place in the first quarter of 2021. I'm Liz Rakia. Thanks for joining me today. Watch for updates on these and other topics at weserve.realtor and weservegad.org. Remember, you can access links to the sources of information contained in this podcast in the podcast show notes and listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and the C-Suite Radio Network. We Serve Gad, advocating for private property rights, the right to private contract, and your business. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.